more powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, it's the Dave Joskow Podcast coming at you on a Thursday, beautiful morning in New York City. Oh my God, the weather is unbelievable and unprecedented. In the middle of March, 78 degrees and sunny. Can you believe it? I took the day off. Why wouldn't I? I had jury duty yesterday and I was supposed to go today and I'm like, what? Not going to happen. Yeah, let me tell you something. There's no way. There's no way you can, you know, how can I expect it to be good to go to school on a day like this, as Ferris Bueller would say. And this is the song, of course, we've been waiting to play, The Nightfly with Jazz and Conversation on the Dave Juskow Podcast. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for coming to the show. It's going to be an unbelievable episode because I am pumped. It is daylight. I'm in a great mood. I had coffee. I had breakfast. I'm ready to talk for hours and upon hours. In fact, I just got off the phone with my friend Lawrence. I probably shouldn't have talked to him. I talked for like 10, 15 minutes. I probably should have done all this on the air, but he had just, uh, we talked about so much stuff. For some, First, we talked about, he had just seen I Smile Back, which is the Sarah Silverman uh, movie, which she was really good at, and he agreed that she was really really good because she was and that's why she was nominated for a SAG award but probably should have been nominated for an Oscar we're going to talk about the Oscars in a second so I'm still angry and uh, then uh, then we talked about uh, the show Younger with Sutton Foster which is really really good show on TV land Younger with Sutton Foster um, as much as you want to make fun of maybe me watching a show like that about a woman who's 40 who's pretending to be 26 I mean she's really hot so I, I would watch that anyway but um, there's a lot of pretty girls in it but it's a really good show and you know why you know how I love sitcoms your pal Dave Jessica loves sitcoms it's a, it's a fact that I, everybody knows I love sitcoms this is a very smart sitcom because what they have a, they have a technique which we should try and put in all sitcoms from now on um, and what it is is kind of like a superhero thing where she has this secret. She's a 40-year-old woman who just got divorced and a, a, a wife and mother in New Jersey who got divorced. And to get a job in, uh, in publishing, which she was meant to do, which she left early on, she had to pretend to be 26. Now, she looks really good, but she definitely looks older than 26. But she's still, you know, her lesbian friend Debbie Mazur who we all love from Goodfellas and many other things, uh, is a lesbian who lives in uh, Brooklyn, Williamsburg, and now she does that and she's hip and whatever, and nobody knows and nobody knows the secret except for Debbie Mazer, her best friend. And uh, they, you know, or she has a boyfriend or whatever, but nobody knows the secret. 
And that's what makes the sitcom completely interesting. I'd probably watch it anyway. Well, maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. But what makes it compelling is that she has this, you know, I'm Batman secret that nobody knows yet. And you will sit as long as, you know, everything else is uh, kind of on point. You'll wait the three to five seasons to see that secret revealed. And that is what's entertaining. I mean, Jesus, I sat through, what, five, six seasons of Gossip Girl waiting to see who Gossip Girl was. That didn't pay off at all. But I'm, but this one will because I already know the secret. <laughs> you know, so it's just like we know who Batman is, and that's how they kind of blew it in the Michael Keaton one. Just, you know, I mean, that, that that's where they really dropped the ball on that stupid Michael Keaton. I love the Michael Keaton one because I love Michael Keaton. We all know that because I hated Birdman. I was angry that he didn't win. And the problem with it is that um, it's already revealed. Like Alfred, Alfred told her off camera. What? He's like, yeah, I told her, Master Bruce. He's like, but that was, I was going to do that. Oh, my God, it really pisses me off. Because that's the best part of Batman and Spider-Man. The reveal. They did it perfectly in Spider-Man 2. Perfectly. They waited two movies to do it. Two movies they waited. And right at the right moment, when he's saving her, you know, Tobey Maguire saving Kirsten Dunst from a, a falling piece of platform, you know, his mask is off, and she goes, well, I guess I always knew. And he goes, this is really heavy. Damn it. Good stuff. Fuck. You got to do that correctly because, you know, people rely on that. That's the fun. So this is a really good show in that sense. And I'll tell you something. If I ever write a show again, you, you got to write something with a secret that needs to be revealed because it's very entertaining to sit through it and, uh, you know, see what's happening. Oh, is that still playing? Sorry about that. You know, I can't talk over lyrics. That's the problem with using something like that. But uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, last week, uh, we just played the the Godfather show live from the Village Gate. And that was okay. I know it was hard to hear. Remember I told you, listen, I did the, uh, the track before it. And I said, these comedians, they just don't know how to use the microphone. So I don't know what that guy was doing up in the booth. I mean, all you can hear is Russ Maneev for sure. At least he was good. He played Sonny. You can definitely hear his mic. You can hear mine pretty much. But, you know, Jesus, what can I do? If I don't have control over everything, when everything goes to shit. You understand what I'm saying? If Memo had control, if he was in that booth, I don't think any of that would have happened. They have this young kid. He doesn't know. He's like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I mean, how many times I tell him, play the, the music louder. Play it louder. He was like, okay, I'll play it louder. He didn't play it louder. He's a nice kid and everything, but he's obviously an idiot. So hopefully on May 3rd, when we do it again, May 3rd, the next two scenes, I've already written it, we will do it better. I mean, this was pretty good. You heard the audience reaction. People really liked it. I'm nervous about doing it again because, you know, it went so well. But we've talked about it for two weeks now, and uh, we have to move on. Uh, I, You know, we've had guests and nonsense happening. This is an old-fashioned Dave Jessica show because it's the middle of the afternoon. There's nobody around anymore who's around i mean even though i don't really know anybody that has a full-time job anymore uh I guess nobody's around yesterday jury duty got released at 11 30 i'm like well, i gotta keep calling people i kept calling people you know even the comics aren't around i don't know what happened well they don't wake up at 11 30 you know you can't get in touch with them until four or five i was down in the you know i went down to the village i went to the cellar i took the manager lives out for um some lunch because she was such an integral part in doing the show and then I went for a drink at uh, one of my favorite bars in the middle of the afternoon you know it was a beautiful day yesterday and then I was like you know what 
I'm going to take off today too because it's too nice. So I think, um, you know, my friend Irene, who I wanted to do the podcast, she's coming in from Staten Island today. What a loser. <laughs> and uh, then she just got an apartment here in the city, and I think we're going to go to the rooftop and make out. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope her husband's not listening. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful day, and it's going to get colder again, but. Boy, what a great day. I don't, you know, I, I, I was so confused. I hate when it gets like this, when it, you know, like a little interim warmth, because even though it's great and it's nice out, I don't know what to wear. I'm very confused until it gets to the season. I, you know, the summer's just no good for me and my belly. I don't know how to hide it. In the winter, it's so much easier. I suppose I could eat better or exercise, but who has time for that? I went to the doctor on Tuesday just for a checkup and a physical, and I'm like, um, what are you doing with that glove? He's like, don't worry. Yeah, he gave me the prostate exam, which I was waiting for for a long time. This guy hasn't done anything. I guess once I turned 50, he just was like, all right, now we got to put all this fusion together. So then I asked him, I said, what about these wellness centers? What about like these centers that do all the tests, you know, x-rays and blood tests and you're, you know, hopefully I give my stool sample. You know, I've been waiting to do that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I just carry a stool sample with me, you know, when I go just in case. Um, but, you know, what about those things that do a, a myriad of tests, um, you know, in one day? And so, you know, you feel good because they've checked everything. And he, I'm like, what about those places? Are they ripoffs? What's the story? He goes, it's not that. It's just your insurance won't pay for it. You, you know, you're, it's a lot of money. And you really just need to go one by one from what we see. But I'm seeing every time I go to a physical, at least with this doctor, and I, you know, I told you I only go to this doctor. He's very handsome. <laughs> I don't know if he's a good doctor, but, you know, they basically take blood, blood and urine. And again, uh, I just give my underpants. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't make myself crack up. I mean, that's a real talent. Um. But, you know, how do, they take an EKG. So we found out, like, I have some sort of heart problem. So I had to go to, um, you know, then you have to go to another specialist after that. So this is, I'm like, what about my arteries? I mean, the way I eat, my arteries should be completely clogged and full of plaque. I'm, I'm due for that. You know, I just wish I could get a big cleaning in my heart and arteries because I just feel, you know, it's coming. You just at my age, you just can't eat like this all the time. I just am not. I don't know how to eat properly. Eating is more of a uh, event in the sense of I have nothing else to do, so I'll eat and I'll order something that's fun because I'm just so bored. So he's finally sending me to like some artery specialist because I'm like, yeah, well, what about those? How do you get those checked? So I just kind of make an appointment and do that, but I'll probably wait a year to make the appointment because I really don't want to know. I just. You know, want to make sure. I mean, you know, I guess he checks the cholesterol and all that stuff. But, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I don't, how are you supposed to find out? Like, they used to take checks, chest x-rays, and I thought that told you something. But apparently that doesn't check anything until the stuff has already happened. They can't see anything until something's there. So they're like, well, you know, what's the point? So I don't know. I'm confused on how to keep yourself, how to know what's happening so you can prevent uh, you know, you can obviously, it's pretty easy to prevent prostate cancer at this point. Um, or, you know, try colonoscopies and things like that. But uh, the other stuff, 
you know, you should have a way to see it coming, I guess. I don't know. No, that's my story. So I went, you know, yeah, so I got the prostate exam. It was exciting. Then I went back and I told everybody, I'm like, yeah, I had a prostate exam today. I'm feeling pretty good. Oh, it's so difficult for a boy. <laughs> when they, uh, you know, I figure a prostate exam must be bad for gay guys too. You know, you don't want anybody actually poking around up there that doesn't feel good. So, I think it's difficult for everybody. Boy, you see, it's so funny. You see that glove come on. You're like, what are you? What are you? What are you doing? What's happening? I always want him to touch my balls too. You know, you got to check that too. But he never does. But I hate that. You know, I'm very sensitive down there. Very sensitive. In the testicular area, the urologist I was using, I we we're not speaking anymore. I can't go to him anymore because I I kicked him by accident because I I couldn't. Uh, he was like you know squeezing and stuff. I couldn't take it. I don't like that. You know, the sexual sexual stuff either. I can't have anybody. I don't trust anybody that they're not gonna hurt me. I have a lot of trust issues. I think that's what that is. I don't know why, but I do. Because it comes from somewhere. So, anyway, uh, I don't know. You know, I don't... I, you know, after the show, I really just had nothing going on. I haven't done anything. I just came home, watched TV. I've been so bored. I couldn't even play the Batman game on Xbox One. I was just... I am bored. I'm so bored. I, I, I don't know what to do. I just had no plans, nowhere to go, nowhere to be. I was just so bored because I didn't have anything planned. I mean, even though we have that thing on May 3rd planned, but that's May, you know, it's March. What am I supposed to do? So I've been gambling again because I don't know what else to do. That's what I do when I'm bored. I need some action, which is a horrible thing. Even though, you know, I only messed up during the playoffs when I, I paid everything back. And uh, there's a there's a guy, you know, we met a guy, me and my friend Kenny met a guy who knew all about basketball and he was amazing. Get to win all the money back. But he doesn't know anything about the tournaments, which, which is amazing, too, because, you know, a lot of guys, they get cocky like he's doing so good. Maybe he'll go to the tournament. He says, nope, no, nothing about that. I just know about the regular. I got a system and his system was flawless. I mean, really, I think he went like 25 and two. So uh, that was a good deal. Then we have a guy that has a system during the the tournament, the actual tournament, you know, the March Madness stuff. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I guess I'm looking forward to that, I guess. I don't know. You know, I hate those pools because I always lose money because I run them and I'm bad. I wish I, I need to have somebody else collect the money or something. I stink. Anyway, uh, the only thing I did, I think uh, last Monday, uh, Jeff Ross called and said, do you want to go to dinner? And then we had dinner with Bob Saget and his daughters, which was actually quite pleasant. His daughters are very... Do you know that Bob Saget from Full House has three actual daughters in real life? He has three daughters on the show and he has three daughters in real life and they're all about the same age. If that's not the strangest thing... <laughs> So I've been watching that Fuller House. I watched the first episode. It was hard. It was good. The first episode was good, you know, where they're all grown up and stuff. And then the second episode, you can see it's only about the kids. And I just wanted the adults there, too. So I'm not I don't think it's going to work for me. But my niece is so obsessed with it. And she's 16. And she says, um, you know, five episodes in, it gets a little better. 
you know, I texted her. I, I can't believe I didn't get a picture. I texted her. I said, yeah, I'm having dinner with Bob Saget. She's like, no way. I told you Uncle David was all right. Uncle David, the most interesting man on the planet. Do you hear about this guy? The most interesting man from those Dos Equis commercials. Um, they're letting him go finally. They're apparently in the commercial that's coming up. Uh, well, yesterday, he, he goes to Mars. <laughs> um, it airs tonight, actually, this being taped on Thursday. And after, he, he was doing that for 10 years, the, the actor. And now it's over. If opportunity knocks and he's not home, opportunity waits. Sharks have a week dedicated to him. At a museum, he's allowed to touch the art. That is funny stuff. The most interesting man. Stay thirsty, my friends. Dos Equis. You know, it's funny. I never thought about drinking a Dos Equis until I saw those commercials, so it was very... I don't know if I'd get rid of that guy. But he's like almost 80, <laughs> so I guess... You know, I, I think if you want to have the most interesting man, they have to be a little younger, but he still looks really good. He's hanging out with the young ladies. It was a good campaign. Have you guys been watching The People versus O.J. Simpson, which is an outstanding quality television program? It's really, really good. And how great is it? I mean, apparently, everybody's watching. I've been telling people to watch it, too. And everybody I've told, they're like, thank you for turning me on to this. This is fantastic. It's very entertaining. It's on FX. I think it's a nine-episode thing or whatever it is. It's not enough. And it's been so entertaining. John Travolta is amazing because it's just so campy. Nathan Lane is good. Sarah Paulson is amazing as Marsha Cross. Um, the guy, Courtney Vance, is that his name? I think he's playing Johnny Cochran. He's really good. Everybody is really good. And here's the best part. OJ is just, like, all over it. And he's going crazy in jail. And he's like, Cooper Goody Judy doesn't hold a candle to me. I mean, OJ's insane. We know that already, but he's insane. And he has just been... Now he's like so happy because he's in the news again. That's all this guy was all about. And uh, so so anyway, apparently they found the bloody knife on his property when they're digging up the property. And this is all news that happened last Friday. And, you know, because of the show, now there's new information. So they found a bloody knife on his property during when they were uh, turning up the, when they knocked down, I didn't even know they knocked down his house. I guess that's what you do when there's a double murder somewhere. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, it, hey, you want to sp spend a night in OJ's house where two people were murdered? Um, you know, and we'll give you $500, <laughs> you know, like a least stairs in a place in a haunted house. <laughs> Uh, every sitcom or Scooby-Doo episode has done that. Uh, I guess this one they just knocked down um, like Forrest Gump did to uh, Robin Wright's house in uh, in Forrest Gump, uh, you know, where she was abused all those years and he just knocked it down. Uh, so when they were turning up the soil, I guess they found the bloody knife and then a police officer, some worker gave it to a police officer and the police officer was a traffic police officer and he took it home. He's like, well, this will be worth money someday. I guess maybe the trial was over. I don't know. Obviously, he was supposed to give it away, but he didn't. Once the TV show was happening, he went to a friend and he goes, hey, can I get the uh, case number for this? Because I want to put it in like a, like a, you know, a, like a portrait, you know, and then have it and have the case number. And then the guy who he told, like, can I get the case number was just like, hey, this bozo's got the goddamn bloody knife. It's probably the murder weapon that we've been searching for. 
So hopefully that guy's in big trouble. What an ass. And, uh, you know, now to find that. So OJ is so crazy. He has a saying, according to one of the retired prison guards who befriended Simpson, because Simpson is, uh, you know, he's a, he's a star in prison. Why wouldn't he be? And uh, he goes, if the knife is rusted, I can't be busted. So this guy's out of his fucking mind. He's obviously out of his mind, because what kind of idiot? who clearly murdered these people. We all know he murdered these people. You know, if you're black or white, I mean, you, you know it happened. Because then where are the murderers? Uh, anyway, we know he murdered the two people. You get off on a double murder. You get off. You don't have to go to jail. You're free. All right. You, you choose not to leave the country for what reason? I don't know. Maybe I get it. Then it'll make me look guilty, but I mean, oh my God, your life has to suck. And then you get a gun and and do a, a kidnapping and just trying to get one of your trophies back. Are you just the stupidest person on the planet? Which clearly is. And he's in jail for that. You know, which is just so weird. Uh, but he's just, you know, all about, um, all he's thinking about is parole. He's going to be parole soon, but he's, but he's just laughing about the TV show and the book and all that nonsense. He's so into it that it's making the TV show even better in many ways because um, because it's back. And you forget how completely riveting it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, when my friend, Lawrence Lerman, put together one of the greatest nights, I'm sorry, the greatest television watching nights of all time not knowing that the OJ thing was going to happen I mean it was coincidence he had a party at his house for watching two things the Knicks Rockets game right that was the the finals right Knicks Rockets game four I think and David Hasselhoff and his Baywatch friends on pay-per-view. So we had two different viewing areas. We had the Knicks Rockets area in the middle room and the David Hasselhoff and his Baywatch friends, which was another way for David Hasselhoff to show that he was the greatest performer and singer of all time. And why doesn't America get this? I know you love me on Baywatch. I know you love me on Knight Rider, but why don't you get I'm the greatest singer ever? Why are you people not getting this in America? And um, we've talked about that on this show before. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, we've talked about it on this show where he sucks. I mean, just sucks. You know what? I can, I'm, I'm going to find it. Uh, here it is. Ready? Where are you living out here? In I live in uh, West L.A. I used to live in uh, Santa Monica. This is uh, him in 1970-something um, right on the Merv Griffin I'm show. I work on a singing career and working on my own songs. It's very hard to live in an apartment building and sing at 3.30 in the morning. You're writing your own songs? Yeah. Good. With a partner of mine. And so I moved to a house and I made the garage into a studio and bought some primitive recording equipment. And uh, working on some That's songs. That's the way to do it. You know, it's a good way to get to know yourself and to know what not to do and what to do. Are you ready for your 
singing debut on our show? No. no. <laughs> so let's say this is 1978. Let's say it's 78. That means uh, 20 years, about 18 years later, 16, whatever, he's still trying to convince people he can sing. And remember, we played this song. He's horrible. Come on, they'll love it. I'll wing it. Yeah. And I love the song you've chosen. Oh, thank you very much. The theme from The Young and the Restless, and it's titled Nadia's Theme. Nadia's Theme, right. right. Okay. And here's David Hasselhoff to sing. <laughs> in the, you know, with relation to the OJ trial. <laughs> Does it ever pick up? Oh, he's just absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. And uh, so for 18, 20 years, I mean, not, and not just then, I'm talking about now too, um, you know, he's still trying to convince us that he is a good singer. He's not. So he had a pay-per-view special, and when pay-per-view was king, in 1994, David Hasselhoff and his Baywatch friends. That way he figures he has, you know, Pamela Anderson come out, and they have a beauty contest. People are going to sit there and watch, and he sang a couple songs, and he's just the worst. So on the show, he, you know, so we're watching the Knicks Rockets, and as we all know, then the OJ uh, chase, the Bronco chase happens, and... It's so funny the way they depict it, and they have the people at the NBA just going like, switch it to the corner box, you know, like because they want to just put in the Bronco thing, and they have Bob Costas come on, and they're like, what happened? And I mean, it was riveting, right? Riveting. We're trying to watch the Knicks Rockets, but yet the OJ thing was just riveting. So David Hasselhoff on a stupid show, we're still watching that too, and he goes, I know, I know, you're probably all watching the Knicks Rockets game. He has no idea that he's also been usurped by O.J. Simpson and his stupid Bronco chase and his stupid ridiculousness of O.J. Simpson that is O.J. Simpson. I mean, it's so funny that the guy just gets so screwed, but is he screwed? You know, who cares? Is that guy screwed? He had two successful television shows, and the one of them was with the hottest girls ever on the planet in America. So if I'm going to consider that guy getting screwed all the time, and you know, you think like, oh, that's mean to do to David Hasselhoff. Well, shut up. Because screw that guy. I'm sorry, everything didn't work out for you. You know, you had good looks. You had a good body. You were able to somehow parlay that into an acting career where you're also a horrible actor. And you're angry that we just didn't give a shit about your singing? You're a dick. Hasselhoff. It's a stupid name, too. German. German people. How about this? BMW. BMW. Yes, Monday apologized for the quote 
enormous suffering it caused by using slave labor to produce goods for Adolf Hitler's war machine in World War II. They apologized Monday. Forced laborers from concentration camps were recruited to make, uh, you know, cars or whatever. This is their 100th year anniversary. BMW's then-owner Gunther Quant and his son Herbert were very close with Hitler and profited from the Holocaust, being handed businesses seized from the Jews sent to death camps. Well, fuck you, BMW. You suck. You should have just gone out of business or changed your name. Are you really going to continue selling cars when all of your profits, when you first started and the reason you're able to be BMW, come from Holocaust people that were probably executed after they helped you? These are, oh my God. You know, I always thought it was Mercedes. My mother said never buy German. I didn't know BMW was German. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I knew Mercedes was. I thought BMW was okay. Well, screw that. I don't want to see anybody buying a BMW anymore. I don't want to see any Jewish person buying a goddamn BMW because this is unacceptable. They said nothing about any kind of compensation. About to, They just apologized. They apologized. Well, thank you very much. But my mother still has people that speak who are still survivors, and they're still sitting there telling their experiences to my poor mother who is, you know, is still fighting for the cause because everybody's forgotten because now everybody's died off and that the, the, the Nazis lived all perfect, beautiful lives down in Argentina and were never caught. I know people tried, but they were most of them were never brought to trial and just lived very pleasant lives with lots of money and lots of fun and lived to about 100. Each one of them lived to like 100 because ironically they were super soldiers. And I guess they really were the uh, the fittest people. I mean, look, I mean, that's the way it is. They, the Nazis were very good specimens of people. I mean, that's what he wanted, but it turned out it was true. <laughs> I mean, I think I've told this on the story before. I'll never forget in the 80s, reading about, I used to read the Daily News backwards and forwards, and there was a story about a Nazi who died of cancer, and it was page 35. And I'm like, how is this not front-page news? Why do I have to see... You know, a, a, a little girl who, you know, dies of cancer, a real sad story, uh, you know, on page one, when I'd rather see a Nazi dying of cancer, somebody, you know, so, so it makes some form of sense to the world where somebody, you know, a, a little girl who's loved by her family, it, it, you know, it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't make any sense, doesn't give us any sense. And yet the, 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 the Nazi who dies of cancer is on page 35, which would only give us some form of, of justice or, or purpose to the world that there is, you know, a, a higher power that's going to give out judgment. But apparently that's only page 35 news. I guess it doesn't sell papers. And now most of those Nazis are in their 90s. Who cares anyway? It doesn't even matter. We really blow it. We blow it. None of them got their comeuppance. Maybe two. It's, it's really messed up. And, uh, you know, so for all the people that are saying Donald Trump is, is Hitler and all that stuff, uh, he's not. You guys got to relax. He's a New Yorker. He deals with Jewish people all the time. His, his ex-wife is now an Orthodox Jew, which means his grandchildren are going to be Orthodox Jews. Of course, and we know Hitler was a Jew. All right. But I'm just saying, I, I you know, Hitler's not a... Ra I mean, he may be racist, but... So am I. 
And if he wants to keep illegal immigrants out of the illegal, he's just saying you can come in, just come in the proper way, the way everybody did in the 1900s, you, like we see in The Godfather 2, you go through Ellis Island, you do the paperwork, you work it out. Is that really that bad? Am I, am I really uninformed? I mean, it's possible I am. I mean, I am. I am. I'm not as informed as other people, but I'm not saying Trump's going to be the greatest president ever, but you know, I, I get why people like him. I mean, it's, it's in, you know, you just, you love hearing him just say, you know, listen, this Cruz is a clown and all his comments are clowns because he's right. That's all you get. You see Ted Cruz and you see Rubio and the talk, and the way they talk, well, definitely Ted Cruz. They just do really, I mean, Donald Trump sounds like a clown too, but they, they clearly got nothing. I mean, again, when you, when you're talking about closing down Planned Parenthood, what are you doing? And I really believe, I really believe Donald Trump is a New Yorker. He lives in Manhattan. We don't think that way here. You know, we're not against abortion here. We're normal. We're, we're, we're normal people. We, we know how the world works. What's worse than an unwanted child? Isn't it good to kind of nip it in the bud in many ways? I mean, you know, I get it. I get the other side too. Again, it should just be a choice. So whatever he's saying now, you know, and I don't know why. He should just go for it all. Why are you trying to please a party that doesn't even want you to be their party leader? At this point, you might as well say, screw the Republican Party. I'm still running on the Republican ticket. All these jerk-offs, you might as well go for it all. All these jerk-offs can shut up. They're idiots if they want me to kowtow to what they're saying. I believe in abortion. I believe in Planned Parenthood. You know, I, I, I have a lot of problems with your stupid issues. I believe in gay marriage. You know, whatever whatever the case may be, who cares? Just, you know, do it the way you're doing it and go for it all because your party's not going to back you up. So you might as well just go for it all at this point. What does he have to lose? Maybe he's just waiting till he gets the nomination, which is smart too. I mean, really, at this point, your party's against you. Can you believe this? Ugh. I am a Republican. But I am so embarrassed sometimes. I just, you know, I, I, I became a Republican. Reagan was in office because Reagan was a great man. I don't care what anybody says. I liked him. I was excited to vote for him. And uh, Nancy Reagan just died on Sunday. I know this because uh, Mr. T put out the press release. Uh, yeah, you heard me right, Mr. T. I'm on the death. First lady, Nancy Reagan, it was very special to me. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm just a Christian brother from the hood trying to do some good. <laughs> Mr. T will always deliver, you know. Just a Christian brother from the hood trying to do some good. <laughs> He's the Nipsey Russell of our generation. I hurt my head when I went to bed. Don't do it more like Cosby, but you know what I'm saying. But it's, uh, you know, interesting uh, stories on Nancy Reagan Sunday. I watched a lot of the shows and just they were talking about the real love that they had, which is a little uh, a little creepy in a way. I mean, it's not, you know, it's weird, but it's like just when you're the president, you shouldn't need your wife around all the time. Uh, it's just you got to be more of a man. But we knew the way Reagan was. It's all right. And in many ways, we knew she was pulling a lot of the strings. But, you know, listen, that administration was... Um, it was badass and it was cool and it was uh, really awesome and people you it's funny uh, when he left office people even said he's going to go down as one of the great presidents in history and that has held true for a while 
no matter what you think. But let's face it, he was a really good president. Nixon was a great president, too, until he you know, became a jerk-off. I guess he always was a jerk-off, but let's face it, he was a good president. I mean, he was, I'm just saying, you know, he did some good things, but he was a crook. And Clinton, you know, was a great president. And then he did some messed up things in his personal life, which really shouldn't affect anything, but he was a great president. Obama will not be known as a great president. He's known as a good guy. Jimmy Carter was a horrible president. I mean, that's, you know, what we do. You know, as long as we're talking about this, let's just go into uh, the Oscars thing again. Uh, I, I know it's weird to bring... I usually would never bring it up after the fact it's done and done, but uh, I'm so into it. I'm so still angry, and I don't think we spoke about this because I think the week we were on, we did the Oscars, we talked about it, right, and then the next week was the show. And you know I was going all out on Sylvester Stallone. I mean, I was just full in on uh, Sylvester Stallone winning. I did a rant, you know, saying it was going to be, uh, you know, a, a coronation of sorts for Sylvester Stallone because he deserved it and he's the greatest and you know I just I mean I really went off on it and uh, I'm still upset I'm still upset that he got snubbed and by a by a British actor nonetheless it's like that's what makes me even mad you know how angry I am about the British people taking our jobs and why nobody's ever talking about that I mean, everybody's talking about, you know, other people taking our jobs, doing all this. Why are they talking about the British actors taking American jobs when they're using an American accent? That, that's what I'm talking about. Well, I think this British actor used a Russian accent in this one, so I guess we can let it go. But meanwhile, what are you giving it to this guy for? This guy's an idiot. Bryce, whatever his name is. I, who cares? What an asshole. I'm, I'm just so angry. Uh, Sylvester Stallone was supposed to win because he was the greatest. And everybody knows it. How's this girl you're going out with tomorrow night? How do you know? Ah, you know. Don't you think I hear things? A lot of canaries flying around the docks. I'm going out with Paulie's sister. <laughs> hey, Ralph. What? Hey, she's retarded. She ain't retarded. She's shy, you know? I'll tell you what to do. Take her to the zoo. I hear retards like the zoo. Hey. <laughs> you know retards like the zoo. Um, you know, it's funny. I told... Um, I think though Bob Saget's kids that they're 29 nice really nice girls and I said some retard and I'm like oh I'm sorry I shouldn't have used that term and they're like what are you kidding have you met our dad because you know Bob Saget is ironically um, one of the dirtiest comics <laughs> you know which is so funny he must be one of the greatest actors of our time because he's a filthy comic and he just played um, the exact opposite on television so good for him but um, I wanted to talk about the Oscars again and I just want to go over because I enjoy making lists and going over stuff. And that's why I wanted to have a guest today. But no big deal. I just wanted to do it in the afternoon. I mean, I could have waited till night. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do it at night. I want to do it in the daytime. It's beautiful. Um, you know, I'm happy. I just had coffeeed up. And um, I, what I did, I'm, I'm talking about, and I'm going to get to, I mean, I'm just, until I feel that I've said what I had to say, I'm just going to keep going over lists. And we may go over these lists once a year. In this particular case, what I've done is gone over every best actor. So this has nothing to do with Sylvester Stallone, but still, 
it's on the lines of who you're giving Oscars to and why. And I have a list from I went from 1970 to 2016 of um, of of best actor Oscars, and I made a list. And I you know I just have it in my hand; you can't see it. Uh, where I have a shade of purple means that it was an iconic role, an iconic role in the sense of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We probably know lines from many of their you know scenes in the movie the actors that played these characters you definitely know the characters and you know it just lift these particular people up to another level of you know godlike existence because these roles are iconic in our everyday lives to this day and it's a shade of red means an outstanding performance and completely deserving of an Oscar. But not an iconic role. You know, it's not one maybe we remember for the ages, but uh, but the performance is outstanding. A Shade of Yellow is a Lifetime Achievement Award, which is where this is all coming from because that's what Leonardo DiCaprio got, is a Lifetime Achievement Award, which is exactly what Sylvester Stallone should have gotten. This is where all this is coming from. yes. Maybe he's not the greatest actor. Maybe Creed wasn't his greatest performance, but you des- he des- Sylvester Stallone deserves a Lifetime Achievement Award for what he's done. I wrote an article, which you can look up on the Huffington Post, all about this. And what I said was, and they put it on their best like blog column thing you know, to, to look for, and what I said was that Sylvester Stallone, as an American, is an American icon. Sylvester Stallone created an American icon character in Rocky. We all know Rocky. We all love Rocky. If you look at the way he got to build Rocky, it's an American success, an American dream story itself. He was poor. He was an actor. He went to Hollywood. His car broke down. The only friend he had was the Fonz. He had to call the Fonz. This is while he was pushing his Rocky script. They said, we like your script. You can't be in it. He goes, then I'm not giving you the script. I mean, we all know the backstory. And if you don't know, maybe I'll explain it one day in complete entirement because it's a fascinating story. He wanted to direct it. That's where they drew the line. <laughs> like, look, you can be in it, but you can't direct it. He just kept pushing. And, 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 and let's just take that, right? He created Rocky. So you give an award for that? No. Maybe not, but look at this is a big dumb goomba. This guy is is an idiot. Let's just say he's an idiot. The way he talks, we know he's not because he's able to write, he's able to direct. We know he's not an idiot, but he doesn't look like the brightest guy of all time, and he doesn't talk like the brightest guy. So we don't know what his deal is. Let's just say he's stupid. He comes off as stupid. Well, let me tell you something, because this stupid idiot created a second American iconic character in Rambo. So this apparently undeserving Oscar-like actor created two American heroes. Yeah, maybe they're fictional, but there's Rocky's almost real in a sense of the way we think about him 
and the statue in Philadelphia because he gives people hope and Rambo is just a guy you want to exist and you want him on your side and so this idiot created two American iconic characters well what did Leonardo DiCaprio create nothing can you name any of the characters do you know his name in the Ren event whatever the hell that stupid movie is what's his character's name do you want to know what his stupid character's name is nobody knows it it's Hugh Glass. Hugh Glass? They made that name up in the Brady Bunch as Jan's boyfriend, George Glass. Oh, my God. Do you remember Leonardo DiCaprio's depiction of Hugh Glass in The Revenant? Hugh Glass. Are you kidding me? Do you remember Sylvester Stallone's portrayal of Rocky? So if you're going to nominate him and he gets all the other awards and then you're going to snub him the night of the Oscars this American icon will screw you then you're not getting the picture of what the Oscars are supposed to be this is America and I don't care if you give it to these British actors all the time still using stupid American accents even though Kate Blanchett was amazing in a performance of Jew, Blue Jazz Jew <laughs> that's a Freudian slip She's still British and she's using an American accent and she's winning. So if you're going to do all that, then give it to a fucking American and a great American who's created two amazing American characters and let's have him have his moment of glory instead of another British douchebag who we'll probably never hear from again. (coughs) That being said, Uh, anyway, the Shade of Green uh, <laughs> are performances that I think are good, but they could have chosen better. Shade of Blue is there was nothing else that year, and the Shade of Black are bags of shit. So here we go. Yeah, I'm going to go from 1970 to 2016, so uh, buckle up, because I'm doing it. Where are you guys going? You know you love this show. You're just going to listen. That's what we're doing. We're just here to listen. What are you going to gonna like, I don't want to listen to this. Why, why would you listen to this? You're going to listen to the rest of the, 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 the rampage. You might as well listen to the whole thing. I don't go for it all. You know, I always post out, if you're listening on a Saturday night before you go, to, you know, before you go out to a party, this is the perfect thing to listen to. Maybe you're driving in your car, coming to the city. It's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. You're getting excited for the night. You sit back and listen. Now, 1970, 1971, 1972, I have them in purple because these are three iconic roles. Three iconic roles. George C. Scott in Patton. You think that guy is an Academy Award winner? I'd say so. Patton? Yes. He, you know, there was nothing else good, but he beat out a couple of good guys. He beat out Jack Nicholson and James Earl Jones. Can you believe that? He was nominated for Best Actor and not for Star Wars. <laughs> George C. Scott for Patton. Definitely was supposed to win. The next year, Gene Hackman for The French Connection as Popeye Doyle. We know these. Yes, deserving. Good choice. Uh, Beat out Walter Matthau and George C. Scott again. And uh, beat out easily Topal for Fiddler on the Roof. Are you kidding? And 72 is Marlon Brando for The Godfather. For the character of Vito Corleone. Are you kidding? He beat out Michael Caine and Lawrence Olivier, who, you know, who they were uh, canceled themselves out there, both in Sleuth. And Peter O'Toole 
but that was a no-brainer. Marlon Brand, of course, he was going to win. He was that's the, one of the greatest performances of all time. George C. Scott, Gene Hackman, iconic performances. Marlon Brando, maybe greatest performance of all time in movies. So 1973 is in yellow. It's a Lifetime Achievement Award for Jack Lemmon and Save the Tiger. What? Is that what? Did you know? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you knew he won. He was great in that. Oh, really? Do you have you all seen Save the Tiger? He beat out Brando in Last Tango in Paris. Quite frankly, Brando should have won again. He beat out Al Pacino in Serpico. There, there is an award that could have completely won, and we would have been okay with that. He beat out Robert Redford in The Sting. The Sting won Best Picture that year, so why is he beating out Redford? Jack Lemmon's was a Lifetime Achievement Award. So they've been doing this all around. Art Carney the next year and Harry and Tonto. Really? Really? He beat out Dustin Hoffman and Lenny and Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. Art Carney and Harry and Tonto. If that's not a Lifetime Achievement Award, then what is? And we all and he beat out Al Pacino in The Godfather Part Two. Art Carney. Art Carney. We all love Art Carney. It's a fact. <coughs> Sorry, but that is a Lifetime Achievement Award if we've ever seen one ever. That might have been the greatest Lifetime Achievement Award of all time. He beat out Al Pacino in The Godfather 2 and J Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. And quite frankly, Dustin Hoffman's performance in Lenny was ridiculously awesome. So if Al Pacino had won uh, for The Godfather Part 2, we would have had that in our purple category as an iconic win. Or Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. Those two roles are the ones that should have won. They must have been sitting there going, you're joking. Are you telling me the guy from the Honeymooners just beat me? The guy from the Honeymooners just beat me as Michael Corleone? Are you fucking kidding me? Is this really happening? Al Pacino must have been sitting there like, are you, what? <coughs> I hate the Oscars. He, 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 I, I, why would he ever go back? Why would he ever go back? Now, the next year, Jack Nicholson got retribution, and I have that in my purple character category. Jack Nicholson won for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That is an iconic role. He was brilliant in it, and, and it is a, an amazing role, and deservedly, you win the best Oscar for that. He, he beat out Al Pacino again in Dog Day Afternoon, which he could have, you know, I think we would have been okay with that. And Walter Matthau, but Jack Nicholson was completely deserving in an iconic role. And quite frankly, the next year is an interesting one because Peter Finch won for Network. Now, that is ironically an iconic role. Now, we don't know the name of the character. I mean, it's Howard Beale, but we didn't know. I mean, but we know I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. We all know that. So, but he, but did he win? It is an iconic role, but he died. Did he win because he was dead? Because he beat out Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver. And he beat out Sylvester Stallone in Rocky. Now, you kind of knew Sylvester Stallone's not going to win. It's not, you know, he's not an actor. Maybe that is the way he is. So we're going to give him a break. Beating out De Niro in Taxi Driver, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. But he was good enough. But, you know, we never saw... Well, we never saw Peter Finch again because he was dead. So we don't know how to play that one, but we put it in purple because it is an iconic role. But it's tough to beat out De Niro and Taxi Driver. 
But you can see beating out in that particular case, Sylvester Stallone and Rocky, we got to see what he does next. And I get the Rocky thing. He's not an actor. I mean, the guy that won is probably a better actor. But again, I'm saying if you're giving Art Carney an award, then give Sylvester Stallone what he deserves. The next year, uh, now this is hilarious. Now the next year I have in blue. Blue means there was nothing else that year, and that is the case. And this is one of my favorite years. 1977. 1977, I mean, I could go over that entire year in one show. You are talking about John Travolta being nominated for Saturday Night Fever. If he had won, that would have been in purple. Deserving and iconic for the ages. John Travolta was amazing in Saturday Night Fever. He was unbelievable and if what we know of him now playing Robert Shapiro in the OJ trial and and probably being gay then he might be the greatest actor of our time because he was so straight and I guess acting and so manly and cool in this motion picture he should have won best actor He should have won Best Actor that year because there was no one else. John Travolta should have won. I don't know why they were afraid to give it to him. He was up against Marcello Mastriani. Are you kidding? Who even knows what that guy's doing? And he's up against Richard Burton and Equus, which is okay. Nobody cares. And he's up against Woody Allen and Annie Hall. But Woody Allen's not going to win. He's not an actor. We know he's doing Woody Allen. But it's a, it was an honor to be nominated because Andy Hall was that great. Like Rocky, where Sylvester Stallone, you have to nominate him because Rocky's amazing. And the, the movie's going to win Best Picture. Andy Hall's going to win Best Picture. He's going to win Best Writer. He's going to win Best Director. He can't win at all. So that year, they gave it to Richard Dreyfus for The Goodbye Girl. I'm not crazy about the arrangements. You're not. Definitely not. I'm paying the rent. I will make it a rules. I like to take showers every morning, and I don't like the panties drying on the rod. I like to cook, so I will use the kitchen whenever I damn well please. And I am very particular about my condiments, so keep yourself and pepper to yourself. Plus, I play the guitar in the middle of the night whenever I cannot sleep, and I meditate every morning, complete with chanting and burning incense, so if you've got to walk around, I'd appreciate a little tiptoeing. Also, I sleep in the nude. A buffo. Winter and summer, rain or snow, with the windows open. And because I may have to go to the potty or to the fridge in the middle of the night, and because I don't want to put on jammies, which I do not own in the first place, unless you're looking for a quick thrill or your daughter in advanced education, I would keep my door closed. Them's my rules and regulations. How does that grab you? And he won an Oscar for that. Now, look, I love The Goodbye Girl. I love it. It's one of my favorite movies actually me and my sister we love it I don't know why I saw it when it came out then I think I went to the theater to see it again I really liked it I don't know why it just did and uh, he was really good in it but what I just played for you is that is 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 that up there with John Travolta and Saturday Night Fever or Marlon Brando in The Godfather what you know, I'm always up for a comedy to win. I mean, I, obviously, you know, I want to see a comic actor win, but Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. Here's the best part. It's so weird. Um, 
when he won. You're not going to believe who gave him the award. Tonight's nominees for an outstanding performance in a lead role are... You want me to do it by memory? Woody Allen in Annie Hall. Richard Burton in Equus. Richard Dreyfuss in Goodbye Girl. Marcello Mastriani, A Special Day. And John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. And you hear the applause going for John Travolta because he was amazing and he was there. Woody Allen wasn't there, obviously. So why is Sylvester Stallone having to give the Best Actor Award when he lost the year before? Can you believe what they've done to this guy? He did it because the guy who won the year before is usually the guy who gives it. Now they do it the opposite with the girl who won Best Actress the year before gives it. But back then they were doing it where the last year's winner gives it to this year's winner. The guy was dead. Peter Finch was dead. De Niro's not going. Uh, yeah, you're not going to ask Gina Carlo Gianni to do it. So Sylvester Stallone is coming up and giving the award that he lost out to to some douchebag. Which is- and the winner is... A new heavyweight champ, Richard Dreyfuss! What? How did that happen? didn't prepare anything. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Wait a second, am I here? Yes, okay. First, uh, I will embarrass Ray Stark by saying that I owe him everything. And he is a great man. To Herb Ross, who is the only true gentleman I've ever known in my life. To Herb, Marsha, and Neil, and Quinn. <laughs> I could go on and on and on, and I don't want to leave. Can I rent this now? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> How about that, huh? Richard Dreyfus winning for the Goodbye Girl. Well, you know, listen, he was in Jaws two years before, and I don't know if that was the same year as Close Encounters. It might have been. So in a sense, he might have won a Body of Work award, but I guess they were afraid to give it to Travolta. He should have won. Travolta should have won that year, but we'll let it go. I liked his performance in it, but, eh. you know, they made fun. People made fun of him for years. Even on Saturday Night Live, he came on, he hosted the show after he won, and he said a lot of people thought I shouldn't have won. So he knew. He was just as surprised as anybody else. So that was kind of interesting. I remember that Saturday Night Live he was on. It was a very interesting one. You should, If you ever get a chance to see the Richard Dreyfuss Saturday Night Live one, it's kind of interesting because he does uh, say it and then he does a, a scene from Richard III at the opening monologue and it doesn't really work very well. But the other scenes are interesting. It does like a serious scene with Lorraine Newman and, and stuff like that, which is just very interesting. Um, you know, it's much different than it, is today and that's why uh 
it's a very interesting uh, episode. Uh, the next year, which we have in the green category, you know, my green category, which is performances that are good, but they could have chosen better, is John Voight won for Coming Home. Well, yeah, it's okay. But um, quite frankly, uh, Warren Beatty and Heaven Can Wait was pretty good. Gary Busey and the Buddy Holly story, that's the only thing he's ever known for. I mean, if it wasn't for the Buddy Holly story, Gary Busey wouldn't even be anything. And De Niro in The Deer Hunter and Lawrence Olivier in The Boys from Brazil, in which he was amazing. But that's all right. We can let that one go. you got to choose from some of those people. It's an okay performance. Again, Dustin Hoffman in Kramer versus Kramer, you know, again... You just you don't have a, a good list of people. It's an okay, you know, it's an okay performance, but certainly that's not Dustin Hoffman's greatest performance. You could have chose better. There you had Jack Lemmon for the China Syndrome. I mean, the China Syndrome was an interesting movie at the time. Al Pacino and Justice for All. I mean, that's what I mean. That's one of my favorites. I mean, him winning for that would have been great. Roy Scheider for all that jazz. That was amazing. And Peter Sellers for being there. Peter Sellers for being there should have won over Dustin Hoffman for Kramer versus Kramer. Peter Sellers for being there. He's amazing in that movie. Chance the Gardener. I never really cared for Peter Sellers, but he was amazing in being there and should have won. It was probably the number one choice, you know, back in the day. They probably all thought he was going to win like Sylvester Stallone. And then Dustin Hoffman wins for Kramer versus Kramer. Why? I don't know. I mean, just give it to Peter Sellers for his Lifetime Achievement Award. What is the matter with you people? In 1980, we have an iconic role. An iconic role. Robert De Niro and Raging Bull. There's no bones about it. That has to win. It's the right move. Uh, you give up Robert Duvall and the great Santini, who if, unfortunately, Robert De Niro was in Raging Bull that year, what are you going to do? Otherwise, you know Duvall wins for the great Santini. There's nothing else. It's Peter O'Toole for the stuntman. I remember that. I was like, what? He was horrible. Jack Lemmon in tribute. John Hurt for the Elephant Man, maybe, but no. Robert Duvall got screwed that year because Robert De Niro was in Raging Bull, and that was amazing. How did that? I don't think that won Best Picture either. No, it, no, it did. It did. Scorsese didn't win Best Director. It was weird. Uh, 81, Lifetime Achievement Award. Henry Fonda on Golden Pond. Henry Fonda on Golden Pond uh, beats out Paul Newman, who was supposed to win for Absence of Malice. He should have won for Absence of Malice. Paul Newman, maybe a Lifetime Achievement Award, whatever the case may be. But, you know, Henry Fonda got the Lifetime Achievement Award that year, and he was older, so what are you going to do? Warren Beatty for Reds. There's no reason he couldn't have won. Burt Lancaster in Atlantic City, a great role for him. And quite frankly... Dudley Moore and Arthur, if he had won, I would have been completely okay with that because let's face it, I might have put that in purple. Dudley Moore in the iconic role of Arthur. He was amazing in that and whether he's like that in real life or not, that is his Rocky. Dudley Moore is amazing in Arthur. Just to be nominated was cool, but I would have given anything. Henry Fonda and Angola Potty did good, but you know that's a Lifetime Achievement Award. They both won that year. Catherine Hepburn won too. A stupid movie. 1982, I put the iconic role on this uh, for Ben Kingsley for Gandhi. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Let's face it, that's an iconic performance. We still talk about it to this day. We're not talking about the real Gandhi. We're talking about Ben Kingsley and Gandhi. That's what we know. He was amazing in that. He was amazing. It looked amazing. But you're passing over Paul Newman in The Verdict, who was great. You're passing over. You're passing over 
Dustin Hoffman in Tootsie, who really should have won. But what are you going to do? Ben Kingsley and Gandhi was he was really good. You're passing over Peter O'Toole in my favorite year, who was amazing. He was brilliant. But the nomination was his Oscar, you know. But unfortunately, like uh, uh, Robert Duvall, uh, Dustin Hoffman gets screwed by Ben Kingsley and Gandhi. And you know I'm okay with that. What are you gonna do? It's Gandhi. It's uh, it's it's epic. Um, Jack Lemmon just keeps getting nominated. You see them on this list for stuff you've never heard of. So it's always you know, how did you know how did he not pull off a lifetime achievement award at this point? Uh, which he did, which we just went through. So in '83, Robert Duvall got back with Tender Mercies, uh, which is fine. You know, I mean, he was due for the other. He should have won for the. Great Santini, so they gave it to him for that. And he was really, really good in that. So I have that as outstanding performances, deserving of an Oscar. And he he, he had, it's not an iconic role, and maybe it is in a way, but he beat out Michael Caine in Educating Rita, maybe the worst movie ever. Tom Conti for Ruben Ru- Rubin. Tom Corton for The Dresser. Albert Finney, the, you know, he had nothing. <laughs> he should have, he was going to win that hands down anyway. Um, in 84... Ivan Green, performances that are good, but they could have chose better. F. Murray Abraham won for Amadeus, but there wasn't a lot else to choose from. You have Jeff Bridges in Starman, which was excellent, and Tom Hulse for Amadeus, who was actually better than F. Murray Abraham in many ways, but F. Murray Abraham did a good job. But again, he could have, but there wasn't much to choose from, so, you know, what are you going to do? In in blue, I mean, I have uh, there was clearly nothing else that year. William Hurt wins for Kiss of the Spider Woman. What a bag of shit! You know, Harrison Ford and Witness. You're not going to give it to James Garner and Garner and Murphy's Romance. That was stupid. You could give it to Jack Nicholson and Pritzi's Honor, where you know, but John Voight and Runaway Train. It's all crap. So they gave it to William Hurt. It's a it's a crappy Oscar. It's a crappy year. In 86, they give the Lifetime Achievement Award to Paul Newman for The Color of Money. Everybody, he didn't even show up. He was like, forget it. I've had enough. I keep getting passed over for my good stuff. I'm not even coming. But there was nothing else that year. Nothing else. Nothing else. I promise you, I'm not even going to bother reading it. There was nothing. He There was a hands down, how do you not win? And again, you know, one for a performance he did back in the 60s. Could have been the same thing with Sylvester Stallone. Playing fast Eddie Felsen, you know, I mean, uh, just saying. Recreating the character again, just like Stallone did. Stallone wrote his own character, too, so you motherfuckers. In 87, uh, I've got my color codes. It's important. The outstanding performances deserving of an Oscar, Michael Douglas in Wall Street as Gordon Gecko. Yeah, yeah. I could almost put that on the iconic one. But I, uh, but I didn't. But yeah, you, you deserve that. He beat out William Hurt in broadcast news. Who cares? Jack Nicholson, you know, whatever. And Robin Williams, a Good Morning Vietnam. Ugh, God, I hate that guy. So Michael Williams, completely deserving and a good performance, a really good legendary performance. I got no problems with that. And then an iconic one in 1988, an iconic one. Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man, absolutely. We all know it. We all still quote it. I'm an excellent driver. Excellent driver. I mean, um, he beat out Tom Hanks in Big, but he was deserving. 
Uh, beat out Gene Hackman in Mississippi Burning. He was really good, too. But Dustin Hoffman was completely deserving of that Oscar in Rain Man, so much more so than Kramer versus Kramer. He was really good. You know, you get, and they, 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 two retard Oscars in a row, Daniel Day-Lewis and my left foot that next year. You know, you're always going to win that. You play like a, you know, somebody you take to the zoo. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, the fact that he won uh, means that there was nothing else good that year. He was up against Tom Cruise for Born on the Fourth of July. That's who they really maybe should have given it to just for whatever. Because, you know, that was like his first like serious, serious role. Um, you know, he's up against Morgan Freeman and Driving Miss Daisy and Robin Williams' Dead Poets Society. There was It was basically between Tom Cruise and Daniel Day-Lewis. In 1990... I love this role, and it's an outstanding performance. Jeremy Irons wins for Reversal of Fortune, and I think completely deserving, but a lot of people probably maybe they didn't think that. Kevin Costner was nominated for Dances with Wolves, which you know ended up winning everything. Robert De Niro was nominated again for Awakening. Nobody cares. So Jeremy Irons was deserving of it, and it was a great performance. I almost wanted to put Iconic, but that's just me, cause I, because Sonny and I were deeply in love. He was a great performance, but a lot of people think he won for Dead Ringers, which was the year before where he played um, a twin uh, gynecologist, and he thanked David Cronenberg when he won the Oscar, so he basically won for like two good years. Just the way Michael Douglas did for Wall Street, I think the year before he had done Fatal Attraction, so sometimes you win, you know, you do two good performances in the role, they'll give it to you for the second one, just the way kind of Cher won for Moonstruck, but really should have won for Mask. You put in two good performances in a row, you're you're in pretty good the next year. Now, the 1991 is one of the greatest modern-day iconic roles of all time. That's Anthony Hopkins in The Silence of the Lambs. There is no question. There is no doubt. There's nobody that can beat you that year. You're amazing. It's Hannibal Lecter. They're still making movies today with that character. You're beating out Warren Beatty for Bugsy. You're beating out Robert De Niro for Cape Fear, which technically if he'd won, would also have been in the iconic performance character for sure. You're beating out Nick Nolte for Prince Prince of Tides and Robin Williams, that idiot again for The Fisher King. But there's no way anybody's going to beat Anthony Hopkins the Silence of the Lambs. Pretty sure everybody was there, knew it was a performance. They stood for him when he came up and got his Oscar because it was the only completely worthy Oscar given maybe since Brando won for The Godfather. Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. I don't think there are any disagreements. In 1992, the Lifetime Achievement Award comes out again. They give Al Pacino the stupid award for Scent of a Woman, probably his worst movie ever. When you could have given it for Serpico or Dog Day Afternoon and Justice for All, they give it to him for Scent of a Woman. He's up against Robert Downey Jr. and Chaplin, who quite frankly, quite frankly, as much as I don't maybe care for Robert Downey Jr., I would have given it to him for that. He should have actually won for that. Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven, who was amazing, but he's playing Clint Eastwood. Stephen Ray for The Crying Game, he could have easily won because that was a legendary role. You could have even put that under Iconic in a way. And Denzel Washington for Malcolm X. You know he's not going to win because, you know, they obviously the Academy hates black people. Uh, I mean, I don't even think we mentioned one black person here yet. So Al Pacino sent of a woman's a lifetime achievement award. Robert Downey Jr. got robbed. Maybe even Stephen Ray got robbed. In 1993, a good performance, but I don't know, you know, there wasn't a lot of other stuff. Tom Hanks wins for Philadelphia. 
you know, he's up against Daniel Day-Lewis in some movie you never heard of, Lawrence Fishburne, Anthony Hopkins from Mains of the Day, and Liam Neeson for Schindler's List, whatever. You can see how Tom Hanks win. You're talking about AIDS. It's like the first movie they made of AIDS. So he's going to win. He can let it go. It's a good performance because the next year, I have in purple as an iconic performance, Tom Hanks wins for Forrest Gump and becomes one of the very few people who win two in a row. And he beats out Morgan Freeman in the Shawshank Redemption, who if Forrest Gump wasn't an iconic role, he would have won because we all know Morgan Freeman's performance in the Shawshank Redemption is probably the best thing he'll ever do. He beat out Paul Newman, and he beat out John Travolta again in Pulp Fiction, um, who was very good too. But let's face it, Forrest Gump is an iconic character to this very day, and Tom Hanks bought it. And uh, that in the wrong hands, that movie just wouldn't have gone anywhere. Uh, and it was really good. In 1995, I haven't read because it's an outstanding performance, worthy of an Oscar but not iconic. It's Nicolas Cage in Leaving Las Vegas. He did a very good job. He beat out Dreyfus and Mr. Holland's Opus. He beat out Anthony Hopkins and Nixon, Sean Penn and Dead Man Walking, and some other douchebag. So that's all right. In 1996, I think I have that as a... uh, Yeah, there was nothing else that year. Jeffrey Rush wins for Shine. Really, Tom Cruise should have won for Jerry Maguire. Or Woody Harrelson for The People vs. Larry Flint. He was amazing in that. Or how about Billy Bob Thornton and Sling Blade? All those should have beaten Jeffrey Rush in Shine. Why the hell? Or Ray Fiennes in The English Patient, which nobody really cares for, as you see in the Seinfeld episode. But we know it was a movie. I mean, Tom Cruise was really good in Jerry Maguire. How do you not give it to Billy Bob Thornton in Sling Blade? That's the perfect thing the stupid uh, Academy likes. Jeffrey Rush in Shine. That's a stupid one. And then a great performance. Jack Nicholson is as good as it gets. Um, You're not beating out any. There's nothing else that year. Matt Damon for Goodwill Hunting, and I can even that guy. Robert Duvall and the Apostle, Peter Fonda. I think he was supposed to win for Yuli's Gold. I don't know. Dustin Hoffman, Wag the Dog. These are all crap. Jack Nicholson, I got to say, was very good and as good as it gets. Very good because Jack Nicholson is an icon himself, and he's a character. And when you're watching a movie and Jack Jack Nicholson can step out of that character and then you're engrossed in his acting performance that he's playing a character... Boy, that's really good. When somebody who you know how he is and all the thing, and he can somehow take it and still put on a performance and kind of take you out of your mind of what you think Jack Nicholson is, that's that's deserving of an Oscar for me. So I had no problem with that. In 1998, I have it in black. It's that idiot Roberto Benigni. Somehow he wins for Life is Beautiful. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? That idiot, that Italian idiot, he beats out Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan, who completely could have won, but then it just would have been ridiculous. You know, he's winning three. Ian McKellen in Gods and Monsters. Nick Nolte for Affliction, no way. But Edward Norton in American History X was amazing. And he totally could have won, and he would have been completely deserving and been in my pink thing if he had won. But Roberto Benigni, what the hell? Who's voting for this crap? 99, Kevin Spacey wins for American Beauty. Absolutely deservedly so. There was no one else. You could have voted Russell Crowe for The Insider. No one else. There was no one else, but it's still a really good acting job. He was really, really good in this movie. Kevin Spacey, American Beauty. The next year, Russell Crowe won for Gladiator. So you saw what I said. Two performances, seed to lead, two good performances. He was excellent in The Insider. He won for Gladiator. Uh, but he was up against he was up against Tom Hanks for Castaway, who really... 
could have completely won for that. But Kevin Pace, uh, uh, rather, um, Russell Crowe put in two performances in a row. But Tom Hanks for Castaway was excellent. He definitely should have won. Uh, but Russell Crowe's okay. Again, it's the two performances in a row thing. 2001, Denzel Washington wins for Training Day. It's a Lifetime Achievement Award. So that's maybe it is his best role. Who cares? Denzel Washington is a boring actor, very boring. Uh, but they finally give it to a black guy, so that's something. Um, I don't know. What was the last one? Sidney Poitier? Uh, he Again, he lost to Russell Crowe, A Beautiful Mind. That was like the Sean Penn, Will Smith, and Ali. Um you know, who cares? I guess there was no one else that year, so that was all his. 2002, Adrian Brody wins for The Pianist. There was obviously nothing else that year. Nicolas Cage in Adaptation, who was amazing at Adaptation, playing twin brothers and somehow making them different. Really, uh, he could have completely won again. I'm glad he was nominated. That idiot Daniel Day-Lewis again in Gangs of New York and Jack Nicholson about Schmidt. Uh, Adrian Brody seemed like the logical choice. You know, it's a Holocaust movie. You're going to win every time. Holocaust or Retard. 2003, Sean Penn wins for Mystic River. Uh, that's a Lifetime Achievement Award. That's not his best performance, but he's up against you know Johnny Depp and Pirates of the Caribbean. You're pretty much going to win every time. You could have completely given it to Bill Murray and lost in translation, but it's very, you know, it's difficult to pass up. Uh, you know, Sean Penn's put in the work just as Bill Murray has, so... 2004, Jamie Foxx wins in Ray, an outstanding performance, completely deserving of the Oscar. Um, but there wasn't much of a choice that year. You're up against, again, Johnny Depp in these stupid movies, Finding Neverland, which is a bag of crap, and Leonardo DiCaprio for The Aviator. He could have won. See, if he'd won for that, I would have been okay if Leonardo DiCaprio had won for that one. But Jamie Foxx was completely deserving of Ray. And the next year, Philip Seymour Hoffman for, for Capote was completely deserving of the Oscar. And there was nothing else. Oh, you, know, you know, they could have given it to Heath Ledger for Brokeback Mountain, but I'm glad they didn't. What? But Philip Seymour Hoffman, an amazing performance, completely deserving. Then you have one where there's clearly nothing that year. 2006, Forrest Whitaker wins for The Last King of Scotland. He's up against nothing. There's no. He's up against Leo again for Blood Diamond, but that's not his performance, so that's all right. Give it to that guy. Daniel Day-Lewis wins again for There Will Be Blood. It's a very good performance, but I don't know. That's a crappy movie. He beats out Johnny Depp again for Sweeney Todd. Johnny Depp keeps getting nominated for crap. Doesn't even deserve to be nominated. So if you know what Johnny Depp's nominated, there's not a lot going on. There's like nothing else. So Daniel Day-Lewis wins again because there's nothing else. In 2008, Sean Penn wins for Milk. Uh, you know, I guess you got to get there's nothing. You know, you're not going to give it to Frank Langella for playing Nixon. I mean, you could. You could have uh, Brad Pitt and Benjamin Button. That would have been all right. Or Mickey Rourke and the rest. So don't give it. You don't even want that guy on stage. So I can see that one. And then the Lifetime Achievement Award comes out again for Jeff Bridges and Crazy Heart, where he was okay. But again, there's not that much. There was nothing else. Clooney and up in the air, Colin Firth, a single man. You could have given it to him. But Jeff Bridges gets the Lifetime Achievement Award. 2010, Colin Firth ends up winning for the King's Speech. Again, you have the dual performance. You have a single man in which he probably should have won, so he wins for the King's Speech, which is not his greatest performance, but a performance nonetheless. I think, quite frankly, Jesse Eisenberg should have won for the Social Network. I thought he was fantastic in that. Or Jeff Bridges even for True Grit then if he hadn't won the year before. But So you have these two, Jeff Bridges and Colin Firth, going at it two years in a row, and they both win 2009-2010. 2011, oh my God. 
that idiot that's in black, the idiot from the artist. Remember that guy, Kennedy, Jean de Jean de. Remember the silent movie? Oh my God, how did he win? Because there's nothing else. There's some other idiot. Dam- I can't even pronounce Damien Bichard for a better life. Who's that guy? Clooney for The Descendants, Gary Oldman for Tinker Tailor Soldier's, Soldier's Way, and Brad Pitt for Moneyball. And quite frankly, that should have been Brad Pitt's year. He was amazing in Moneyball. He was really good in Moneyball. What are you giving it to this guy in the silent film for? Are you kidding? Who's voting for this? Then you give it for Daniel Day-Lewis again in Lincoln. Oh, my God, that guy hasn't won enough? Who gives a shit about Daniel Day-Lewis? He was really good. He was really good in Lincoln. But Bradley Cooper was really good in Silver Linings Playbook. But I get you're not going to give it to him yet. Bradley Cooper's got to make his bones. So what else do you have? You have Hugh Jackman who's in a minute of Miserable. And there's nothing else. So that, that Daniel Day-Lewis keeps getting lucky because he's up against nothing. So he keeps getting lucky. And, and there's people like... You know, Leonardo DiCaprio, all those other years, who just keeps getting unlucky. Or, like we said, Al Pacino, you know, getting unlucky. Art Carney or, or Robert Duvall, the year that, uh, you know, De Niro won for a Raging Bull. That's an unlucky bet. But Daniel Day-Lewis just keeps getting this luck where he's up against nothing. In 2013, Matthew McConaughey, they got it right. Matthew McConaughey was completely deserving of an Oscar in Dallas Buyers Club. He was amazing in that. And complete. And that guy's a dick, and nobody wanted that guy to win because he's an idiot. But what a performance. Seriously, what a performance. He beats Amer- uh, Christian Bale in American Hustle. Who cares? Bruce Dern. He beats out Leonardo DiCaprio on a Wolf of Wall Street. And that uh, some that guy who he can't pronounce from 12 Years a Slave. Matthew McConaughey was completely deserving of that Oscar. And the year last year, as you know, I was rooting for Michael Keaton the whole way because I wanted the Lifetime Achievement Award. But I would have given it to Bradley Cooper and American Sniper, as we just said, three very good performances in a row. Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle. Bradley Cooper should have won that idiot Eddie Redmayne won for playing a retard. Damn it, you're always going to lose to that. I wanted Michael Keaton to win. Why not give it to him? And then this year, as we know, Leonardo DiCaprio, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. So they gave him the Lifetime Achievement Award, and that's how it goes. For, you know, the character of Hugh Glass. Hugh Glass. You believe I just... What what, what we spent, like an hour on that? I don't care. That might have been better if there was somebody else to... uh, (laughs) I just did it by myself. You know why? What's the difference? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. We're having a good time. Speaking of bad luck, Victoria McGrath. You don't know her. She survived the Boston bombing. Her The bomb sliced open an artery in her leg. She almost, uh, I don't think she lost her leg, but a retired army officer used a T-shirt as a tourniquet and carried her to a medical tent. There's pictures of it. Victoria McGrath. She died in a car crash in Dubai the other day. She survived the Boston bombing but died in a car crash in Dubai. Now, first of all, what the hell is anybody doing in Dubai? You're an idiot. It's terrifying over there. Don't go there. But, boy, how is it like that? Fi- those Final Destination movies, you know, where maybe she's supposed to be dead. She was supposed to die in the Boston bombing and something went wrong. And then she gets killed anyway. Isn't that crazy? Right? I mean, that's one of those things. 
just speaking of unlucky, yipes. Uh, plus, uh, Dubai, uh, it doesn't matter. I just saw something about Dubai today where Iran has the missiles they're pointing at Israel again. That, that Or writing on it like we have to finish off Israel. Oh, my God, it's getting scary. But what am I, what am I supposed to rely on? Uh, Ted Cruz to take care of this? I think Donald Trump has a plan. I like the fact that he deals with Arabs and stuff like that for money-wise and whatever. You know, I think he does have a relationship. I'm just saying, who's going to take care of that? I don't trust Ted Cruz or Rubio. Maybe Hillary. I don't know if Bernie Sanders can handle it. I mean, he'd probably vote for him if he if he was the guy. I don't know. who Who's left? What do you recommend I do? I think Trump can maybe handle it. He deals with these people all the time in business. He has to, right? Maybe that's the guy we need right now. I don't know. Maria Sharapova, who's super hot. Maybe you heard about this. She uh, she got suspended because they uh, she failed the drug test. She's been taking meldonium or whatever. It's a blood flow promoting drug. Taking it for 10 years. And this year it's on the list of stuff that's banned. So she got screwed. She's been taking it since 2006 for magnesium deficiency, irregular heart tests, uh, and early indication of diabetes, which she has a family history of. So she's been taking this drug, but this year they put it on the thing. And she says, oh, I didn't realize it was on this year's list, which I could see happening. I don't know if you get... But, I mean, I guess before you start the season, they must give you the list of banned drugs. And maybe she was just like, well, maybe they'll give me a break because my family has a history of diabetes. Well, she blew it and she ruined all of our good times because she's so hot and we want her on the circuit. And she also lost her Nike deals and some other deals, too. Now, why Nike would pull out of a relationship? What a bag of shit Nike is. They pull out of a relationship with anybody that the drop of a hat, something happens. This is not something you pull out. If she was molesting little boys or, you know, something. Oh, God, why is that hot? See, nobody would complain about that. I mean, I, you know what I'm saying. Um, but if she was doing something really evil, I could see pulling out of your relationship. Just because she's taking a drug that she's been taking for 10 years to help her diabetes. Is it really necessary for Nike to pull out their endorsements? What a bag of assholes. I'm never wearing any more Nike clothing, which I don't anyway because I don't fit into anything. And why are you going to sign Ryan Fitzpatrick to the Jets? What is the holdup? Who gives Sam Bradford $18 million for the Eagles? Um, Let me just tell you something, folks. Bet against the Eagles every day this year. Because Sam Bradford stinks. I don't understand the reasoning behind it of why they would give him and make him the franchise quarterback. He's horrible. So stop it. Stop it, you. <laughs> Finally, they're... Uh, ugh, even the guys in the paper are just like, why is the mysteries of Laura still on? We don't understand. It's an underperformer. They, they, its existence has always mystified us. This is what the paper says. <laughs> it's also true this was the very last series to be renewed in 2015, so there's still time. Nobody knows why that show's still on. It just... I guess it fits with, no, with the, they tried to make an all-girl lineup on NBC. You know, I'd been complaining about that. So the fact that it's still on is unbelievable. I don't know one person that watches it, but then I don't know anybody who watches like Chicago Fire or Chicago MD, and now they're starting Chicago Law. 
Who cares? These shows all suck. They're too real. I like the fantasy ones. And that idiot Steve Harvey got huge ratings for Little Big Shots, which I actually saw the other day, where he's pulling the old Cosby thing. All he does is do shows that other people have done, Family Feud. And I was doing the old Bill Cosby thing where he talks to kids, but um, it was actually quite enjoyable. And that Steve Harvey really shouldn't work again after what happened with the Miss USA pageant after he announced the wrong winner. He shouldn't um, He shouldn't even be working again. It's completely unacceptable. But it's happening. Um, all right, you know what? Let's call it a day. I think we've done enough today. I mean, my rant about Sylvester Stallone and the Oscars, and I still am very angry. I mean, I'm just going to keep going through these categories because I really enjoy it. I like yelling and screaming about who's deserving and who's not deserving and you know, the question is, well, why'd you pick best actor if you're so upset about Sylvester Stallone? Why'd you pick supporting actor? Well, I don't, because we know Sylvester Stallone isn't the best actor. We're just talking about lifetime achievement, prizes, and awards. I don't know why I'm so obsessed. How does it affect me in any way? It doesn't. So, I don't know what's going to be happening uh, next week or the week after or whatever, but, um, but that's uh, the show for this week. I don't think I have anything going on next week. I mean, I got just have nothing to do until we hit May 3rd where we do another Godfather show. And hopefully you will join us live for that at the Village Underground May 3rd. So anyway, that's uh, that's the show for this week, everybody. I hope you have a great week. I mean, today on Thursday is a gorgeous day, but this comes out, of course, on... Well, maybe it'll come out today. Otherwise, uh, tomorrow gets a little colder, and then the weekend gets a little crazy and gets back to normal. But pretty soon, it'll be this weather all the time. And don't forget to set your clocks ahead this weekend. We'll see you next time on the Dave Dusko Podcast. See you then. Thanks for calling. Wait all night. Calls like... Oh.